Hello, my friends. This is Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. My name is Sean Arnold. Welcome back. I have a guest today who, dare I say, which is a theme in this podcast, is a legend in Atlanta radio. He is a uh, host of the very popular and long-running uh, Buck and Kincaid show on 680 The Fan, 93.7 on your FM dial. Uh, he also hosts a nationally syndicated show on CBS Sports Radio on the weekends, The JK Show, and he is the host of The Big Podcast with Shaq. Joining me is John Kincaid. Hey, man. Where, where do we first meet? A golf course, right? Yeah, I, I actually think it might have been a tournament at Eagles. We maybe met before, but I think we met once before then, and then I played golf with you and your buddies, or I, let's just say I played golf while you and your buddies drank <laughs> and played some golf with me. <laughs> but you had some very talented golfers in your group, by the way. Well, that's how I, you know, that's the name of the game, dude. You just roll with, grab a bunch of more talented people than you we, and just roll with them. Was it Eagles Landing? It was. It was actually a tournament that my... It was the Eagles Landing tournament. It was one of my buddies that actually had was putting a tournament together when they were trying to keep the LP, LPGA Tour. Um, Correct. And they were trying to raise money and get sponsors in, and I think they had um, uh, Laura Diaz and... Sorry about the dogs. Oh, while I ha- we're, Sorry about the dogs while we're in the middle of taping this. I have them, too. You can so edit that. Not, you can edit that out if not you a, have to. Not yeah, a chance. My people know my when my dogs start barking. That's or I'm I'm that's over the the, I'm over the garage and like the bonus area, um, where my little studio is. And uh, Holly will invariably come home when I'm taping, and you get to hear the rumble of the garage door opening and closing. So that's just how we roll. So, but yeah, that works. Yeah, those kind of things always work. Like but I that. think it was probably some other thing because when Holly was doing radio, you know, I invariably ended up bouncing into, you know people all over the place for various reasons because you married you married way like you know someone much more (laughs) well-rounded and and ultimately talented than you i mean it's which is good on your part that's what that's what you know women are usually told to do that you turn the tables what did i just tell you dude i surround myself with people that are better than me that's the that's i think that's awesome i think it's the way it works believe me that is the way i have i i've I've built a career doing that so it works out perfectly (laughs) Well, it's, I, I think we both were in the Outkicked Our Coverage Club. Yes. Because uh, your wife is something else. Uh, yes, she is. She's feisty. She's beautiful. She's, uh, she is the when, – when you have a bad day, that's the be- – I said the best day of, of, of marriage is when you have a bad day. It's not – honestly, good days are great because good days are like you uh, – good days you're having a good day. Nothing really, but when you're having a bad day, like I was, I was brawling this morning before nine thirty. I had two different conversations that I was ready to just punch a hole through the wall, <laughs> and and it was just it was beautiful. And so tonight she uh, she got me a little blueberry pie. Her and my daughter got me a little uh, like single serving size blueberry pie. And I said, man, I'll tell you, the bad days is when it's that that's when it's better to be married because good days everybody's everybody's good. There's nothing bad on a good day, so. Yeah, I think when you have that sort of thing, and, and I think this is something that you'll appreciate um, just from us trading Facebook, you know, sure. uh, universe sort of crossing and stuff is uh, the idea of having an equal like in, a, in your relationship, um, w- which I, 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 I'm from the South, so I, I know a lot of people that are in what I would say. I, I hate to, I love the South, and I'd hate to put it into like a stereotypical bucket, but. Um, you know, women like where women are maybe there's gender roles, but like in my, you know, my wife isn't smart. She's strong, you know, so she is literally a, she's my partner. 
right? That's the right. There's no separation that, there, you know. That's one of the reasons uh, I didn't get married to us later, because of the fact that um, it's weird. Is because my boss and I just recanted the conversation with his wife the other day. Um, she had said uh, to to my wife while we were dating. She met her, and she said. I know some of the other girls that he's been with and they're bimbos. Uh, he's going to ask you to marry him. And when he does just say yes, <laughs> that's what she said there. We were not even dating that long. And my boss's wife, Paula Dickey said that to my wife to be who at the time I had no idea was my wife to be. So, um, and it's one of the things is that I, I always felt like, uh, it, I, I always wondered if, if somebody wanted to, if somebody, and especially in a, in a, in a, in a burgeoning at the time, public career, I always wondered whether somebody was interested in my job or whatever, and, and just had those doubts. And I had been sick earlier in life. And I just wondered if I'd ever, I never, I wondered many, many times whether I'd ever get married. So it was very interesting, but in, in, in finding somebody who's your equal is far more far more challenging and far more uh, you got to be far more discerning than than just than just picking uh you know you're looking for the uh, uh you know the general measurements and the hair color and everything <laughs> like that because that won't last well yeah and especially for some because i was the same so i was 30 when we got married or 31 and and holly was at holly's actually a bit older than i am um yes but i, I you know similarly i think that also for me, like give I just need someone to check me. You know what I mean? And that's something I sort of figured out because I'll steamroll people. You know, I mean, it's just probably the nature of my personality. If you let me, I'll just I'll try to run you over. And um, she's not having that. And that was really, really oh, no. important for my no. for my, you know, for now, me. How do, you, how do you keep her from steamrolling you? It's some. It's a. It's a siege. Because 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 as you're saying, as far as that, because that that is that you know that's 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 part of it. There is that there's the the idea. Now you say checking. That's an interesting because you're uh, you're slightly younger than me by a little bit. So I, I I said I would use more the term of um, I just wanted someone that I felt needed me for nothing. That there was nothing that any woman was going to need me for. And when I met my wife, she had a great job. She had a great house. She had a great car. And it was like, okay, she don't need me for nothing. <laughs> so if there is a attraction here, it's to me. It's not to what I can give her. And, and I think that's the case. I think that's the case that a lot of people who, if you wait to get married into your 30s, especially in the South, especially in Atlanta, yeah. you wait into the 30s, uh, women are starting to paint you as an old maid. Or, uh, you know, that crazy uncle, the bachelor, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to paint you that way. They'll think, well, well, what's wrong with them? They're not married at 30. So and I think that's part of the equation too, is that you gotta, you gotta get comfortable with understanding what you're looking for. And, and, and more importantly, who's looking for you. Yeah. And I think the role was actually reversed in this case, strangely, because Holly was probably the one in the position to say, cause same thing, like, you know, she was coming off of already at, 10 to 15 year CNN career and then she had taken a pause to do radio and she was a known entity right and, and oh, yes. I'm sure she probably you know I'm again like in retrospect now I know people in your position her position that aren't 
That's all. It's just like any person that has notoriety. I mean, that's got to be a concern. Like, what's the? Is there some sort of ulterior motive? I think, fortunately, well, for- it's yeah, and that's and that's sort of well. You got to understand. I think you know this is that with most people who do a media oriented career, um, there tends to be a lot of, and I wouldn't say insecurity, but you're constantly you're, you're constantly wondering. You when you meet people, it's weird. It's like you meet people and. You meet people whether we go to church or whether we go to a restaurant. We're at the, my daughter and I were at an ice cream party the other night in Sandy Springs. And a gentleman just walks by and he does the double take and then he <laughs> says, Hey, you're on the radio. <laughs> right. And it's funny. And my daughter always says to me, I love that, Dad. I love that when, you know, when someone comes up to you. And it's weird though, but I always say that it also means that a lot of times, especially when you're in Atlanta this long and you've been doing the job I've been doing this long, you, you tend to run into people that, will know you, but they won't acknowledge it. They will just watch you. Yeah, they will like, sure. uh, we, and we, we have a code word for it that I'm not going to say <laughs> when somebody, when a guy is just staring, like they're just staring, <laughs> they're just, they're going to watch you. And to me, it makes me uncomfortable because I just want to, you know me, I'll talk to anybody yep. and I want to talk to people. So it makes me uncomfortable when somebody, I, I know they know who I am and they don't just want to say hello. They just want to stare. Or they want to like watch you, and then you keep making eye contact. And so it's like, would you just please say hello? Please say hello. I don't <laughs> bite, and uh, and uh, and I will probably end up talking your ear off, and you'll go, man, he's not he's not nearly the jackass he is on the radio. <laughs> well, and that's so part of it because a lot of people don't understand that you know, and not that it's, I mean, it's not fake, but I think you know, no. for it to be compelling, radio has to have conflict, and you have to, and so I, I think you know, things tend to get. Um, uh, inflated just for the interest of it being more entertaining. I mean, not that people are making stuff well, up or whatever, but it's a you're it's a show, right? You're trying to put together an well, entertaining yeah, show. It is, but you're you're but you believe, you're you. <laughs> but believe me, I'm believe me, I am me. Yeah, twelve to three. I'm me Sunday mornings nationally. I am, but I'm the same person. I like. I mean, like to me, I'll have people all the time. I go, oh, you're not like that. Like uh, my producer Jonathan, he constantly gets asked, "Oh, J. Chad, what's it like? Deal, what's it like dealing with Kincaid every day?" And he'll go, "What do you think it's like?" It's a guy like what you hear on the air is who John is, and that's who he is. And we have, and we get we get along great. But there's not one one month does not go by where there won't be one or two times where I'm telling J. Chad, "Oh, go k- kiss my backside." <laughs> yeah, well, why don't you do the same? You know, it's just it's just the relationship of a collaborative business. And with Buck, we just do that to each other under our breaths on the air every single day, 12 to 3. Well, not to get overly philosophical on you, but my last guest was actually a friend of mine that owns it. What he built a company, it's pretty amazing, that focuses on like collaboration, communication to efficiency, like in the workplace. So he goes in and does these oh, I love that. huge seminars with Microsoft and Google. And I mean, it's, it's unreal. If you ever get a chance to listen, his name's Alan Schaefer. He's an amazing And he, amazing and he created that company, you say? He did. Like he, he got, created that and that was just his concept. Well, yeah. So he was a musician and he got really interested in commu- He was a communication major in college. He went and was a musician and he actually started a dot com that he sold back in the late 90s. But um, <clears throat> he just really got into it and started studying and reading all these PhDs about <clears throat> just how people communicate with one another and the whole idea of uh, like really it started around sort of personality typing with with like okay. the, with the quadrant based systems like um, like sure, Myers-Briggs sure. or DISC or that kind of stuff. And he started to try to frame that into references that people could use. Because the thing about communication that's interesting, if you're talking to someone, is it actually 
it, it doesn't matter what your personality type is. It's whether or not you can figure out what they are and then adjust your style so it works with them. If you're trying to get a message to them, you need to know how they respond, not not what you are, right? Because it's, you're talking yeah. to them. So he just built this system around it, and over the course of years now, he started working with DISC, and then he's hired all these PhDs, and now they've built their own platform. And they You have a lot of entrepreneurial friends. I do. I mean, I'm just thinking of our friends, Monica and Ed. Yeah, two of our my best friends. Our common friends is a couple. Yeah. And, and both entrepreneurs. Yeah, and Ed just started a new nature. company. Do you know Ed just started and, a business? Exactly. Yeah. He did just start a new business. I said, you know, and, and, but you have a lot of people that are very, you, you surround yourself with a lot of people who are less conventional in how they're employed or, or what they do. You seem to have a different, a different group of friends. Most people, I would say that's probably not the norm for most people. Yeah, and I've had like the weirdo background. I mean, because the reason, and this goes. Oh, because you're quite the weirdo. Don't say yourself short. <laughs> That's 100% man. true. But one of the reasons with Holly, going back to what we talked about, about what people are after. So, you know, I was with a rock band back in the 90s that had a song on the radio and we played around town and we played all over the country, really. And I met Holly through Steve Barnes because he was at 99X when I was doing the sure. music thing. And so, I, you know, we weren't air quotes famous or anything but like i came through that universe right so the right. like i don't care about that you know what i mean like i'm drawn to interesting people it doesn't matter if anybody knows you and, from adam adam's house cat or whatever so and that's what everyone it's weird is i always get that from people is like uh well who, who are your friends who do you hang out with what like who are the people you who are the people you'll go out to dinner with who are the people you have friends with and i'm like well very few of them are in the media yeah and, and people are like, well, why? And I'm like, because I don't, I truly don't care that much about their jobs. That's why I'm friends with them. So it's the same type of thing is that when I'm, I tend to surround myself with people who aren't in my industry and I can just have some fun with them and, and, and they two totally different and they have totally different interests and, and we can get, I can get away from work. You know, I can get away. I can, and, and, and hopefully surround yourself with people that are, that are interesting. And, uh, unfortunately, and uh, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it this way, but unfortunately there are times in life where you find people who aren't blood are a lot more, end up almost being a lot more family to you than people who are blood. hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's, and, 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 and maybe it's because it's not your, you inherit your, your family. Whereas you choose your, the, the people you choose to be sort of close to and family type with. And, and so you're more choosing people and, and mine are very eclectic, but they're very different people. But I just find we, we, we met, I many times will say to my wife, man, that was the most pleasant evening. That was the most pleasant evening. And sometimes when you do, you're in family events or things like that, you go, wow, that was a, that was a, that was a little stressful. <laughs> That's a little stressful. It's a different thing. And I'm sure everybody can relate to that, you know, can relate to it. I come from a huge family. So sometimes there's just, sometimes there's just mayhem in the fact that the family's getting together, you know, that everybody's getting together. There's mayhem in that. There's just so many personalities at work. Yeah. And I think the unifying theme for me and like the people that I know, um, <clears throat> and also it's actually a quality that I see in most people I know that are really successful and whether they're entrepreneurs or not, is that they're, they have a curious spirit. You know, it's just an idea. I mean, my big driver for doing this podcast is, again, because of the things I've done in life and the people I've met and who my wife is and that sort of stuff, 
I just am always around people that are really interesting. And I'm legitimately curious about those people, right? Like their story. What did you do? How did you get to where you are? Because selfishly, a lot of the time I'm trying to, I'm trying to mine or pick things that I can say, Oh, I could use that and get better personally. Right. Because I'm curious about that. I love that. And I, and I love that mentality because I use, I sort of use the same mentality myself, but I many times will use the example uh, especially being in the media and Holly can really understand this as much as anything is that like, I'll have people say to me, you have gray hair. <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah. And they're like, you know, in the media, you want to look younger. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, well, first of all, I'm on the radio. Second of all, I think my gray hair rocks. <laughs> and, and third of all, my whole mentality in business is always outrunning the bear. And you know, the old analogy where there's a couple guys, and they're in the woods and all of a sudden the giant grizzly bear starts chasing them. And the one guy is saying, you know, Hey, uh, I, I got, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Just have to outrun you. Because if, cause if he gets you and in the media, that's one of those things all the time. You got to be ahead of the bear. You got to be, you can't be the difficult employee. You can't be the highest paid guy that isn't justifying their salary whether it's with advertising, generating big advertising dollars or otherwise. You can't be the guy who's slow to evolve. I was one of the earliest adapters, uh, adopters, I should say, of Twitter in Atlanta radio. And I'm one of the biggest Atlanta radio follows on Twitter because I adopted it early. And thankfully, it was the young people in my life that I work with that taught me about it. It was, it was that, okay, tell me what's cool. Tell me what's coming. And a few years ago, like people said, Hey, you know, this whole podcast thing, the podcasting was going to be the next big thing. And I talked to even some radio executives who were really big on it. And I was like, okay, well, I want to be in that world. And then coincidentally, then the whole thing came together with Shaq. So, but I'm always trying to be ahead of the curve. Um, you know, now everybody's talking about podcasting in 2017 and I've been doing a podcast since 2015. Um, you know, everybody started talking about Twitter and radio three years ago. And I've been in, I've been in Twitter for eight years. It's like, there's a different nine years. There's a difference in your mentality about you got to be ahead of the curve. And I'm always trying to learn from other people in my life as to what makes them successful. And then I try to bogart it into my own life. <laughs> sure. And, 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 you know, and, and, and the, and the time will come that, you know, you, you just, and I love passing on information too. I love being so many uh, people will, you know, refer to go dad. Thanks dad. <laughs> Because I like the young guys I work with. I'm constantly giving them advice. Whether they ask for it or not, I give it to them. Yeah, but I think that that's ha- that kind of spirit. It's like you want a mentor, but you want a mentee as well. And every we can always sure. get better, right? That's It doesn't matter how old you are or what you're into. But I think the other thing that you have that I get a sense that you have that I also have, that when you start talking about things like looks, and this obviously in Holly's world, for women, especially TV, that's a oh, thing. Gosh, like everybody's freaked out about, oh, what do you look like? Whatever. Fortunately, my wife looks like she's 30. And now in HD. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And she still looks young. <laughs> yeah, she's, you know, she's... You look, you're, you're starting to look decrepit, but she looks great. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. It's mile, <laughs> It's mileage, buddy. It's not so much the age as it is there the mileage. Go. But I will say that it's also this idea that um, I am very serious about my what I produce right like what I make like my work output whatever it's important to me that it's good and that the people that I work for the people that I work with 
say, I might not agree with that guy all the time. I might not, but he cares about what he's doing and he works really hard to try to produce the best thing he can produce. And that's why the rest of the looks and all that stuff, you know, it's just like, it may not be a factor, but I'm going to work hard and I'm going to, I'm going to take a lot of pride in what I put out. You got to do that. You, you have to do that. And, and especially in one of those things is that I always tell the young people that I talk to in media, especially that I'm talking to that are just starting out. And I'm like, don't be the high maintenance employee ever because media is full of high maintenance employees. It's full of divas. It's full of people who need to constantly be coddled. Uh, be, be early for every single shift you work. Um, do whatever, when you're asked to do something, follow up quickly, make sure you're great with your clients. The things, um, I think a background in the business world helped me a lot, you know, before I embarked full-time in a media career, I think it helped me a lot to just understand what's important. And, uh, honestly, in my business today, it's all about the revenue you generate. It's all about your personal brand and what that personal brand can generate, can bring in what advertisers are attracted to it and things like that. And that's how you, and that's how it works. Yeah, so let's talk about that since you, sure. you know, since you are, and you know this, right? Like you have the best jobs in the world, right? Like you, I think so. <laughs> I, mean, I think so. Seriously, I got. I mean, I have. It's it's. I, you don't know how many times I meet people that say that the the people who I think have great jobs that say to me, I think you have the best job in the world, best job in the world, and they they think my job's better. I got buddies of mine who are daytime television hunks, soap opera hunks, and they've been on TV for 15, 20, 25 years, making great money, doing great things. And I've had them on my radio show and they are just like, you have the best job in the world. I wish that was my job every day. And it's just weird is you meet people all the time, doctors, lawyers in Atlanta. We like the, the sports radio demographic, something that people don't know about it in whether you can go to all the major markets, and the ratings companies will tell you the highest demographic in radio for listener is sports radio. Of course. Not news talk, not news talk, not, not uh, political talk, not NPR, not anything. The highest is sports radio, highest household income, highest education. Highest, it, for some reason, it's just who's attracted to it. And I think it's because it's an escape. And, 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 and so that, you know, that, that plays in there. The, there's, it's that escapism of of being able to you know just get away from it and i think that's part of uh, you know part of it uh, of the listening audience yeah and also i think it's an it's an area where you can have opinions and you can listen to and give opinions and it's not toxically divisive you know like i can have an i can have a have conversation. you talked to the georgia fans well, about me over the years <laughs> no 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 that, i mean come on give me a break uh, i think you have to eliminate some of the fringy folks and i'm sure. from georgia and i'm always the one that say georgia fans are the most the most delusional fan base in 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 the world and i and i am a georgia fan and am from here but anyway See, i don't put them i don't even put them i don't put them top top 2 in the sec in what in in just overall programs? In, you're saying in delusional and crazy. Oh, who's I'll the most crazy? Florida. Oh, okay. Florida and Tennessee. Yeah, but Florida, Florida has and Tennessee. Florida has has recent titles. <laughs> and, they do. They do. They do. But I think that they also um, there's a there's a factor of just there's a factor of stability within Georgia fans. There's a factor of there's a fact a, a strong faction of civility a strong faction of intelligent dialogue that I find supersedes Florida and Tennessee. 
that that you the, the vast majority of fans and Buck taught it to me a long time ago. He goes, look, there is a lunatic fringe. Sure. And he says, and you need to stop identifying the lunatic fringe as the norm and understand what the norm is for Georgia sports. And, and honestly, he was right. And, and there was a time when I thought he was wrong. There was a time when I thought the vast majority of callers represented that. And, and I found over the years that that's really not the case. It's, it's much more, I think the average Georgia fan, very rational, um, very polite. Uh, I always get the, you know, I, you drive me nuts. Uh, you've driven me nuts for 10, 12 years, but I listen every day. Yeah, I get a lot of that. I get a lot of that. I get some of the bless your heart too, from some of the female <laughs> listeners. And I know that that's you know the Southern that FU. That's right. That's the Southern FU. So Sandra <laughs> taught me that. And then she said, bless your heart, John, that you didn't know that. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did Sandra just do to me? Oh, so, so it's, but, but you, you learn that is that there's um, within fan bases and stuff and within your listeners. On a side note about Sandra Golden, just because, you know, I love her. Because she's awesome? Yeah, like, I mean, seriously, like, what crazy props for the career she's put together in an industry that obviously is ridiculously male-dominated, and she 100% is not out of her, I mean, she she's a rock star. You know why, though? But you know why? You know what the secret is to sports Sandra? You know what the secret is to her? Is that, first of all, she's never a woman in the workplace. It's never, she's, she is in the biggest, I can tell you this at 680, the fan, she is in the biggest guys club locker room type of atmosphere. We have a great team, but she is amongst all dudes and she's amongst a bunch of alpha males and a bunch of guys who played sports, talk about sports, love sports, uh, uh, guys like Finn and Buck who performed at an extremely high level, uh, in their respective sports. Sandra never once plays the woman. She never wants, she's honest with who she is. If she thinks a, a male athlete is hot, she says it, but she just says it in passing. Right. When, she, when, she, when she has an opinion, her opinion isn't couched in anything. She doesn't couch and she doesn't back down. She doesn't, she, she can have a conversation and you never have to be like, oh, I'm sorry, Sandra, am I, being, am I not being polite with you? Right. Am I not being, where a guy with a guy, like Buck would just be like, you're an idiot. You know, like, like, or, or, you know, you get into something and Buck's very polite. So he would never say that. I should say that something more like a churn off or something, but he's, he, he would go, he would say like, you never have to worry with Sandra. She's not going to play the I'm offended card. She's not going to play. She fits in perfectly. And you're right. She has kicked ass in this market for a long time, mainly because of the fact is she builds great relationships. She is fantastic with customers. She is fantastic in a client situation. But more importantly, as you said, she, she, she knows her stuff. She has her opinions, but she doesn't couch her opinion at all. She, she's going to fight. She'll fight you. She will fight you. If, if she thinks you're wrong, she will call you out. And, and her and I are, are, are tight. But if she thinks that something I said or something that I did or otherwise is wrong, she'll call me out on it. And it, I, I have the utmost respect for her, and I'm so thrilled to have her as a part of the team that I work on because I always admired her when she was on the other team. Yeah, I'm a huge. I mean, I love her. I'm a huge fan. But it goes back to what we said before, right? Like strong women that'll call you, that that'll check you. That's yes. my, that's my oh, wife. Oh man, I'm, she exactly. And that's the thing. And that's the thing with my wife, Christina. She's uh, she is very she's ferocious. Yeah. Um, she came she came to this country as a as a young girl where she used to go to dinner at the. She was from Jamaica, 
And she used to come, uh, you know, when she was growing up in Jamaica, her dad ran a supper club, um, like a, like a, 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 a casino type dinner club. Um, she grew up going to dinner at the ambassador's house and stuff like that. And because of the socialist uprising in the seventies with Michael Manley in Jamaica, families were being murdered if they didn't support Michael Manley's party. Oh, wow. And her father, her father literally had to smuggle the family out of the country and they had to wait their turn, get their paperwork in order with the United States to be able to immigrate and then wait. And my wife was herded onto a plane. Uh, and, um, she thought she was going for an Easter vacation to go see her aunt. And when she got to America, he said, no, you're staying and you're never going back. This is going to be your new home now. And then years later, she became an American citizen. And I'll tell you, she is, as you've gotten into a few political discussions with her over the years, she is one of the most ferocious American citizens that's out there. And, um, and so she's a, she's a fierce woman that like you, there's, there's nothing there's, there, there's nothing that um, is going to phase her, you know, tremendous in, tremendous in uh, uh, crisis. Any kind of crisis doesn't phase her at all. Doesn't phase her at all. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's a good person it to is, have on your team, awesome. right? <laughs> oh, I, oh, my gosh. There, there's, nobody better, there's nobody better you'd like to have your back. So going back a, a bit, we were, one of the things I wanted sure. to ask you about, because we talked about, you were mentioning about Georgia fans, um, since you're, fr- you know, since you came here from Philly, right? Sure. So, um, right. W- one of the things that I explain, I have this conversation with Northern friends a lot, or if people move down here to work and I meet them. Okay. And, and, and it's, it's interesting because it, the college sports thing, especially football here, um, one thing I get a lot is like, why is this person, they went to like Gainesville college and they wear all this Georgia gear and I try to explain you mean the Walmart alumni. Yeah. As but I call them. Yeah. But, but what I try to explain is, is that the, the cultural element. So for example, my story, like I obviously went to Mercer, you know that, but Correct. you know, I, I may have heard that once or twice. Yeah. You are a Mercer insider at the NCAA tournament. And also by the way, predict who did not, did I, or did I not tell you that Mercer was going to beat Duke? I have you a, did. I have a but copy also, of that recording, but, just so you know. <laughs> but I do believe you would have said that even if you thought they'd lose by 30 almost. But you had great analysis, and we did give you credit that your analysis was correct. But I told you why they were going to win. <laughs> yes, you did. That's why I was impressed with. Correct. So anyhow, but you know, when I grew up, my grandparents, you know, Saturdays were my dad and my papa, you know, my grandfather, right, watching Georgia football together, right? So it, it was it, – that's where I think that ownership bit comes from is it's – is is it there were it's a part of your family existence that I think anyone latches on to like anything that's that's a normal part of your family sort of establishment when you're a kid but I was just wondering if what was that like for you when you got here like did you already know that the college thing was kind of crazy was it a shock oh I knew I knew that college sports was the pulse of any community that in the south so I knew all about that. I mean, I had known all about, cause I had done business in the South before. So I knew all about, um, I had done business in, uh, in Alabama and Florida and things like that. So I knew about the great, great passion. What I didn't get though, was exactly what you said was the, the fact that for me, I was born and bred on Eagles football, yep. Phillies baseball. And in our house, it was really an Eagles football, Phillies baseball. Sixers sort of mattered that my family got to love the Flyers because of me being into it. 
Um, but it was a, we were a baseball football household. And so what I didn't realize is me on a Sunday going to church, coming home from church, making sure dad's beer was cold down in the fridge, <laughs> making sure we had cold cuts in the house and then putting on my Eagle shirt and sitting in front of the TV, that that was exactly what people in the South had done in my age group. When there wasn't professional sports, their fathers and their grandfathers didn't have professional sports. So that, that was their existence. That's what I had to learn. But the one thing, though, I will disagree with you a little bit is, I can't, you, you, the whole ownership thing, when, when it comes to college, I think I could be a Mercer sports fan, but you with parchment have an ownership. I don't. Um, I have over the years, I want to see Georgia do well. I want to see Georgia tech do well, despite what people over the years have said to me, Oh, you love it when they're doing badly. Look, (laughs) when they're doing badly or they're doing great, the middle ground sucks the worst. What happened with Kirby last year was the worst for us. Mm -hmm. Seven and five middle of the road. That's the worst. That's where you don't want to be. You want to be where the coach is getting fired or the coach is going boffo. You want it, you want it one or the other. You don't want middle ground because then there's all that middling of, well, wait till next year, be patient. It's okay. Give it another shot. So, but the college fan, I always find the most irrational Georgia fan, the most irrational fan that will give me grief over something are the fans that are Walmart alumni. They go and they buy their t-shirt at Walmart. (laughs) They don't have parchment on their wall. Right, right. The people with parchment on their wall usually care more about the university standards. They usually care more about the kind of kids that are being recruited to the school. They actually care more about the whole student-athlete thing. The guy who just picks up his shirts at Walmart and is the biggest Georgia fan in the world, blah, 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 that tells me all about their history of watching Georgia football and everything like that, they tend to be the most irrational. They're the ones who are... The, the, usually the nastiest on an email. And I, sh- I, could, I, I should publish a book one day just of my nasty emails that I have gotten re- received over the years. And the shocking thing being the amount of people that send me nasty emails with curse words in them and, and everything, sometimes threats, and their business title will be at the bottom of the email. Oh, wow. Or their company, they, they do it from a company email. So they're also I dumb. swear to you. <laughs> they're dumb. Yeah. yeah, they're dumb. But that usually is, that's what I find. If, if someone has parchment, their IQ as a sports fan for that program to me is c- considerably higher because they have much more standards. They care much more about the standards that are upheld by the uniform, by the colors, by the logo. Uh, sure. And I think like for me and others is I wore the uniform. So that even mm-hmm. takes it to a completely other level. Um, I think, sure. um, but uh, just a quick, Three second analysis since you mentioned about Georgia's season last year. Jacoby's East yes. is ridiculously overrated. That's it. So, um, <laughs> too early. And I will say to this, and it's funny is, is because I can be really highly opinionated. I can be, you know, the, the, the guy with the 800 pound sledgehammer. But one thing I don't do is jump quickly. And, and to me, like, I'm going to give Kirby Smart three complete years before I would say, He's great, he's good, or he needs to go. Um, I'm not going to judge on one year. But last year, uh, I, I actually think Kirby Smart cost his team a few games. So Jacob Eason could have been 9-3, and three and we'd be talking about him a lot differently. And by the way, his freshman year statistics, better than Matthew Stafford's. Uh, well, so, 
so, I mean, I'm just going to say, and guess what? Matthew Stafford had a hell of a lot more talent around him, both sides of the ball, uh, a more talented team that he had than what was uh, last year with Jacob Eason had. Yeah, sure. I just think that watching, looking at it purely film-wise, he has terrible right. footwork. He doesn't feel the rush. And I think, honestly, that, and you may call BS on this. Are you feeling the from? Yeah, so I'll get to that in a second because I've watched a fair amount okay. of tape on that kid too. Um, so I think, and this is probably, and you'll probably scream at me because this is going to sound super entitled, but I think this is one of the thing like being a, you know, he's definitely got the physical skills, but you know, he dominated people up in Washington. Um, I, I don't know as a, versus a Matthew Stafford playing in Texas, which is some of the best high school oh, football in the world. I've, I've said it too. I've said the same thing about Easton where he played. If you look at the demographics, of where Easton played high school football, and you look at how many kids out of his high school league got Division I scholarships and were, I'm going to say, more multi-ethnic. Uh, let's just say it doesn't compare to playing in Texas, playing in Georgia, playing in Florida. So I've made, I've made that same case. I just think Eason needs a chance to be coached up, and I think he needs a better job done by his coaching staff this year to put him in a good place. Oh, I think he can definitely get better. I'm not saying he's a wash. I'm just saying what I saw last year versus all the hype. On the right. flip side, like now, I'm a Cartersville, yes. high, I'm a Cartersville high school graduate. So okay. for the last two years, I've been watching Trevor Lawrence, right? So right. and thinking about and like, are, are you are you sold on him? I, yeah, I mean because I watch it. I mean. <laughs> They won the state. We I went. We won this. We I can mm-hmm. I can say we. I played there. No, it's good. You can say we. It's yours. Um, yeah. They won the state championship by thirty five points last year. The state cha- in the dome. I'm not talking about the last game of the year when you've played up through the tournament. But he's the goods. No. I, you never know how somebody is going to react when they get around. I mean, still he's playing against really tough talent. Cartersville's not a super big school. It's just a four A school. So I would say the same thing. Like it's not seven A. So I'm. I think that he's going to see a big jump. You know what I mean? And obviously the people you would anyway, but even larger because he's right. not playing in the largest classification. But he's he's really really talented. You know, but again, like I've seen him play against guys on the other side of the thing that are signed with Georgia, signed with Auburn, signed with Florida State. You know what I'm saying? Like that's <laughs> right, exactly, you know, and that's and that's what Easton didn't come from, correct? But I will say this: Fromm is a freak. Like I don't know if you've seen any any tape on him. Seen plenty. I've He's seen a, I've seen plenty because we talked about him all the time, and I think he he does have a. To me, again, he seems a lot like Aaron Murray to me. Yes, which absolutely. Which is fantastic absolutely right. at the collegiate level. But one thing that I would say, too, that I think a lot of the Georgia folk, and I've, I've said this to Buck, and he's disagreed with me, <laughs> that I think the local fans, the fans from this state, would rather cheer for Jake Fromm than cheer for Jacob Eason. Well, yeah, because he's one of us. Because, he, because he's the Georgia kid, yeah. right? But the thing is that when you say he's one of us, Here's what I'm just going to say to that. I moved to Atlanta January 1st, 1995. There were two point, roughly 2.7 million people on that clock on Peachtree Street. That you drive on, uh, you drive on uh, Peachtree Street there, and you, uh, and you see the, ca- the clock right near uh, Shepherd's Spinal. Yep. It gives you the current thing. 23, 22 and a half years later, it's now around 6.7 million people. Yep. There's 4 million extra people. And that isn't because you Southerners have gotten more proficient in the bedroom. It's because this city is now 
made up of more transplants than it is Atlantis. So it's like when I hear, when I always hear that he's one of us, I'm like, the state of Georgia now is not even you. The state of Georgia now is now transplants. In fact, the majority of the state of Georgia now is getting to be transplants. That's, it's getting close. And the city of Atlanta now, we're get, it's six out of ten transplants. Don't, and so that is a, it's a different city. Don't, don't make me turn into Mel and call you a carpetbagger. Well, here's what I'm going to say. Don't make me make six phone calls and we'll come down and win the war all over again. Yeah, don't well. make me do that either. <laughs> they, they, by the way, only one of us on this phone call, I believe, in this uh, discussion, has a grandfather and a great-grandfather buried in a Civil War seminar, a cemetery. And that's me. Uh, and my and I always say that there isn't one 680 host who has a grandfather and a great grandfather buried in a Civil War cemetery. I do. My grandfather died in Philadelphia, uh, di- like was was living in Philadelphia, excuse me, and would not and and made it be known he would never be buried on Yankee soil. And <laughs> he was in Virginia and died in Virginia, so he could be buried on in in he wanted to be he wanted to be Southern and he wanted to be buried Southern. And he's in Front Royal, Virginia, and where his pappy is, too. So I'm an eighth-generation Georgian, so Mm -hmm. um, there may be some, but I don't know. (laughs) There may be. You never know what exactly. But anyway, but the point being is, yeah, but I think – but that's also, I think, part of the reason – I think that actually contributes to what you're saying about Fromm because we know that, right? And we know that – I mean, believe me, anytime I'm in a room, I'm going to be the only native. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's rare oh, yeah, that that's there's the truth. more of us, right? Plus, plus I got to tell you, too, down here in the South, guys and their football players, it's, it's almost creepy between the recruiting websites where grown men are spending endless hours looking at like 10th grade or 11th grade boys wondering if they're coming to their school. But then all you hear about is how he's, he's a great looking kid. He's a great, like they almost have boy crushes on these guys. The next generation, the recruiting thing is where I shake my head. That's where I shake my head. I agree with you. I'm a, I I am, I am so bothered by it. I'm so bothered by the process. I'm bothered now that we have ninth graders being tracked on recruiting websites. Uh, I'm actually bothered by a lot of the people who do it. Uh, I, I find it's, it's, it's incredibly intrusive and I think it just is another level of, uh, I, I think there's a creep factor there, to there certainly the is. whole recruiting process. There certainly and, is. and it surprises me. It just is, it's like, it's like we, we, we start tracking teenage boys and make them into celebrities before they ever do anything, before they've ever done anything at the college level for that matter. Yeah, of course. I mean, but I think it's where that overly, that whether it's, whether what you're talking about, whether it's real or imagined or whether it's warranted or unwarranted, that sort of cultural ownership for the Walmart fans, your alumni you're talking about, they just every they take everything too far. And that's just another thing that they take way too far because their whole life. This is that whole thing of like, I love sports. I mean, it's a huge part of my life, but I don't live and die. You know what I mean? I don't live and die by what happens on Saturdays. And some well, of those people it's do because it's the only thing that do. gives them any work. It's the only thing they can find any value. And that's kind of sad that you can't find other well, things to in me, your life. It's one, it's one of the things that I always say. If your self-esteem is in any way determined by the actions or the behaviors or the accomplishments of anyone else, that's embarrassing. 
especially for grown men and women. That's embarrassing. Um, to me, I have a thing that, you know, you know, I have an obsession with the Philadelphia Eagles. They are the only team, the only sporting entity that I allow myself to be like a true fan, to be like a, a true fanboy type of situation with. But I have a rule, and I've taught it to my daughter, is that daddy can get really like screaming at the TV set. My wife and my daughter will say, you know, they can't hear you, dad. And I'm like, ah, I'm screaming at the TV about something. But I do not, we do not sulk after games. We do not let it ruin the rest of the day. We do not um, let it be a bad mood thing for the rest. That, that sport, because the minute sports doesn't become entertaining to me, I'll find something else to do. It's entertainment. I have nothing to do with whether the Eagles win or lose. Now, will I weep like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a mother on her son's wedding day? Yes. When the Eagles win the Super Bowl, I will be in the corner rocking back and forth, <laughs> sucking my thumb, just saying, I, I can't handle this. This is the greatest moment of my life. Next to, of course, the birth of my daughter and my marriage. Yes. But uh, it, when the Eagles win, it will be, it will be something that I, I, I tell my daughter all the time. It better happen before I die better happen or she has to pick up the obsession which she's already picked up a little bit she's getting there slowly we're having our first daddy daughter eagles trip this year oh cool which i hope to make a, a frequent thing we're going to fly up to philly for the weekend just her and i leave mom at home and go to the eagles and let her be a nutcase with her dad and have some fun and just and she got matching carson wentz shirt she got me a carson wentz shirt for father's day and i'm going to pass that hysteria on now hopefully they will win before i die uh, if not, she has to carry it on and hopefully she gives me a namesake someday that carries it on so I can, I can pass the pain on to another generation. That's so great. And that's, <laughs> I want to come back to that because I definitely want to talk about your daughter. Cause she's, I mean, I don't know her, but I know her through you and she's quite the star, but, um, she's fucking kid. Yeah. So, but one of the things could just cause you mentioned Carson Wentz. So, and all this crazy and recruiting and you stuff, believe it. So, and you know this, but Mercer has just gotten back football in the last five years. Right. And I've, Correct. Got, I've got season tickets and I'm really, I'm on, I'm on the, I'm with the, I work with the athletic foundation and all that stuff from, you know, when I was from my background there, but I've gotten so interested in FCS football and what's so great about it is all of that stuff. It's still a really high level of, of football, right? Like just as far as the football itself, sure. but you don't have, right? Like, because number one, like in just about every school, like at Mercer, for example, if you can't qualify academically, not getting in, like doesn't matter how in. good you are yeah. at football. It doesn't matter, you know, and it's like that at most all the schools, but these aren't, there's not all this crazy, like you hear about recruiting stuff, but it's nothing like it is now. And it's just really pure to me. They're student athletes. You know, they're, you see a lot of times, even in FCS, kids might be really good, but they graduate in four and they redshirt and they want to go to law school or they want to go to med school and they just don't play. Sure. Right. And so I followed Wentz just because I, you know, since Mercer's been back, I super kept up with FCS football. And now I'm really into that. And I just would tell people, like, if you ever get a chance to flip one on and just watch an FCS game, it's a pretty high level of football and it's fun because it's just all of this huge money, huge TV, you know, it's just removed from all that. And it's been really enjoyable for me because there's just not a lot of that stuff. I've gotten into that with my daughter now at Marist. So I've gotten into that where, uh, I never cared about high school football down here. And I went to a big school in suburban Philadelphia that was huge in high school football and was always one of the best teams in the state. And, but now to go Friday nights to take her, 
to go to the football game. Now, of course, there are rules. When I get to campus, I am to part ways with my daughter so she can hang with her pack of friends and just be in the background, and I'm fine. So I go and sit in the parents' section, when, and I've found some other parents that I've gotten to be buddies with, but actually cheering for Marist football has become really fun. I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to going to high school game on Friday night. It's like I'm very excited about that coming up in a few weeks to see some high school football again. So it's it's really interesting how the smaller sometimes you get as much joy out of smaller level as you do going to like big events and like pro sports. So you um if you're into that and you want to check, I know your schedule's crazy, but uh, ESPN is actually going to broadcast Cartersville's first game this year. It's uh going to be really? Cartersville. Uh, by the Cedar way, I'm anti that. Oh really? I'm horribly. I I think it is. I think it's crazy. I think it's crazy. And I think it was crazy when they started doing it with LeBron James. And I think it's awful. I think it adds to what has become to me a very negative thing in high school sports. I think, I, I think it's a problem. And I'm not just saying that about Cartersville because Cartersville would be stupid not to do it if it's offered to them. But I think this is what we're getting at though. It's that in that we're, we're raising entitled young young kids who are already by the time they're in high school they're thinking they're stars hey i've already been on espn i mean there, to me there's no reason for a high school football game ever to be on espn no i guess that's it. just that's an unpopular opinion because i know a lot of people are like well if my kid gets to play at espn then maybe they're going to get recruited maybe they're going to get i realize that there are some benefits to it but i think that the negatives far outweigh the benefits yeah i mean i think for me I, you know uh, one of the things they're doing four games and they're actually playing at Cartersville Stadium. It's a doubleheader and they're okay. going to broadcast both. But all four quarterbacks are D1 signees. I think Trevor's Clemson. One of the guys is Auburn. Another guy is Ohio State, and another the other kid is somewhere I can't remember. But it's like this I'm sure they're and, that's, and they're bringing in. I'm sure they're bringing in Tom Luganbill, and they're bringing in all the. I'm sure they'll bring in all that crew. And uh, they'll make it a, a show about recruiting, and they'll yeah. I'm sure they'll find ways to do it. I think it is exactly what is toxic about amateur sports. But see, on the flip and side, I think that one well, was to say one of the things though for me is I feel like that the vast majority of the kids that are going to be a part of that have absolutely no future. They're never going to be on ESPN any other way. And so mm-hmm. I think it's great that the backup fullback for Cartersville, you know what I mean? That is never going to, you know, I mean, it, I get it. Like on the top end it does, but it's a yeah. great experience for kids that are never going to yeah, go anywhere it, else. It's like the little league world series games being on TV, except for the championship game. To me, it's the, the height of stupidity. <laughs> to me, it's the height of just, it's the, we're going to have 12 um, year olds on TV and we're going to give them highlights packages and we're going to tell them, uh, here's their favorite music band and what their favorite emoji is. And we're going to, it's the height of ridiculousness oh, that we broadcast, what, two, two weeks full of, of Little League baseball games. And the coaches who are, who are supposed to be there to just uh, teach the kids values and things like that, they're all posturing and they're going mic'd up to the mound to do these uh, pitching changes and everything. It's so ridiculous. It, to me, it's the height of ridiculousness. Although uh, did, I, I don't, I, I don't think any of it should exist. Although, did you see that home run the Blaylock kid hit yesterday? <laughs> I did see a tweet of that. Ooh. I saw a tweet of that. 
and uh, I it, it 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 looked like there was uh, you know I mean that was that was quite a powerful hit. So. But it's interesting though you say that because to a degree, don't you think that that is also one of the reasons why you're because I think underlying there may be some creepiness you know in the stuff you're talking about, but I think part of it is also just the American culture's underlying underlying desire to consume sports. Right. Like, and that's one of the things that keeps you right. That keeps your world going. Well, no, none of those things do because other than a passing reference to high school football or a reference where I'll probably have one on the carpet where I will be ripping the fact that, uh, once again, they are profiting off of like, you know, making programming on 11 and 12 year old backs. Uh, there won't be any, there won't be any consuming of that from me. I won't be offering that at my buffet. My restaurant, the Buck and Kincaid restaurant with Buck, <laughs> our restaurant doesn't serve that. We don't serve that. Um, neither one of us are big fans of it, as far as just as far as we would never make that content. So, yes, they're, my industry, yes. Me, not guilty, because I won't waste my time with it. No, no, I get uh, it. But I'll I'm stay just... true to them. You know what I mean? I'll stay true to my yeah. bags. Look, there's, there's values that when you choose to be a broadcaster and stuff like that, there's things that you choose. To, and it's one of the things is as different a guy as Buck Ballou and I are. Uh, when we first started our show, a lot of sports radio stations were dying for advertisers. And they were trying to build advertising audiences. And they were going to strip clubs. Boy. And they were doing a lot of stuff at strip clubs. And Buck and I both said, independently, and then together when we found out that we had done it independently, Neither one of us wanted anything to do with a strip club broadcast. And we didn't care if they told us, well, you know, in sports radio, guys go to strip clubs. We said, we don't care because we don't go. And we don't like being associated with it. And we don't want it associated with us. And so we're not doing it. And for, we're very proud that for 17 years, we had none of that. You know, as we come up on our 17th year, this Labor Day, uh, we, won't, we never accepted a dollar of advertising and wouldn't do it. Um, or even have it appear on our show, advertising for it appear on our show. And um, so there's things that, yeah, add to the crate. There's things about your audience. There's things about every audience and everything that you either, you, you either feed the audience, play a part of it. So many guys in radio, they do the cliche thing. They try, to, um, they try to make it like a boys club. They try to make it like a boys club. I can tell you this, we competed against a radio station for years that honestly tried to make it sound like every night they were sitting in a strip club, going out drinking, cavorting, uh, you know, with the, with the loosest women available in Atlanta and trying to make that sound like it was the norm and thinking the mentality was guys want to live vicariously through us. That arrogance didn't, didn't help because to me, it was like, nobody wants to, nobody wants to be you. They, they, they don't mind listening to you, but nobody wants to be you. Someone may want my job, but they don't want to be me, especially. Right. And they don't want to be any one of these other radio hosts in town. They don't want to be them off the air. They want to be them on the air. And I think that that you know, plays into it. Be who you are. And if you are one of the most boring middle-aged white men in America, like I am, just then, then, then just be that. But let people know who you are. And I think my listeners over the years know exactly who I am. I really do. I think they know exactly pretty much who I am. They don't know everything that makes me tick or everything that, you know, how I interact with people or otherwise, but, but they know what my core values are. They know what I'm about. They know what I'm passionate about. They know what I'm not passionate about. Well, sure. And I give you props for that because I think I'm one of those guys, right? Like if I have a position, I tend to stand by it and I, I don't tend yes. to sway much yes. with the wind of popular opinion. I mean, it, it just, it is what it is. And I'm confident enough in myself to say 
Well, that's how I feel. I mean, you can disagree, but yes, it's fine. <laughs> you know, we can all go have a beer later. It's cool. Um, all right, I do it all the time. Did you, you know, you mentioned Buck a couple times. That's the other thing relative to the sort of you understood football. But when you started working with Buck, you know, someone like him that's so cemented in the lore, right, of it all. Right. Did that was that was that strange? I mean, he's a you know he's a rock star. Right when it comes to oh, the, he is the, the, the culture, right? Just the whole culture. Well, it almost was as if we were both, uh, you know, growing up in a caste system, uh, and we were an arranged marriage by Mike Thompson. Uh, he just decided this this radio <laughs> genius, as I'll call him. Um, he he told me when he was hiring me. He said, "I'm hiring you, and I'm hiring you to do the show, but I'm going to." get somebody to be your partner, someone to soften you, somebody to challenge you. And more importantly, it's going to be somebody Southern and that that's what it was going to be. And so that's the whole concept and how it came up. And to work with Buck, it was a choice that look, neither one of us, and, and it's in all honesty, after 17 years, neither one of us are going, man, I can't wait to spend more time with Kincaid or I can't wait to spend more time with Buck. But when we do spend time together, it's, we know it has been an incredibly productive partnership. And we have found over the years that we have a lot more common ground than we thought. And we probably have more common ground than we have ground where we differ. When if you had asked me in the first few years of our show, I would have thoroughly believed that we had more ground where we differ than where we, than we were, than where we were together. Uh, we have very similar values as far as family, as far as raising children, as far as, uh, you know, uh, you know, marriage and things like that. We have a lot of common, we have a lot of common ground. And, um, and that is, uh, that's sort of the fun of finding it. And that doesn't mean that there's, you know, 20, 30 days a year where we both walk out of the office going, Oh my gosh, I, 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 I just need a break. I need, I need to be away from this other person. It's just the way it is. It's a very intimate thing that we do. Yes, it is. Doing, doing a radio show every day is very intimate because you can't leave the room. <laughs> like you, can't, you, can't say, you can't say, okay, it's 1227. I've had enough of you today. Yep. You can say it, and Buck has said it on the air, and I've said it on the air about each other. But the show goes until it's over, and you've got to work through it, and you've got you to battle through it, so it's tough. But that's such a critical part, because unless I'm wrong um, with this, you can correct me. But I want to say that as of today, as of this taping, you guys have done 3,977 shows together. That is correct. That's where we have been in the room together, and we count the shows by number. I count the shows. I kept a, a, a bibliophile of it because of the fact that Mike Thompson, our boss, the one who created us, came in after like 47 shows and told us you two are going to be fired. I'm going to fire both of you. Really? Because, because you refuse to cooperate each other with each other. You're not listening to each other when you're on the air. You're not, you're not doing anything to try to cooperate, have fun with each other. So you two are never even going to do a hundred shows together. I'm going to fire your asses. And he chewed our asses out. And then we had to go in and do a radio show. So when we started the show that day, I'm counting, I'm counting, I'm counting. And I go, it's the 44th edition of Buck and Kincaid today. <laughs> he told us we would be fired by 100. 
he proceeded to kick the studio door open <laughs> where he put a dent in the door and it flew all the way open and he under his breath just went cut it out cut it out <laughs> and he was ready to kill me now by the end of the show we had him on the air that day and he told us about the meeting and i swear from that point on it was a turning point because both of us wanted the job and both of us wanted the opportunity to work but we just had to learn to work together we had to learn how to work together and um and it's a and there are there the one thing we both had to learn is there are days where it's the buck show and there are days when it's the Kincaid show and there are days when it's buck and Kincaid Mm -hmm. when there is a, uh, a huge loss by the football team in town or a huge controversy in law, it's more the Kincaid show and buck takes a little step back and sort of sets it up for me. And when it's, uh, you know, Georgia, Florida weekend, and um, something that requires a little more of the expertise and the voice of a former player, it's the Buck Show. And you will see me or you will hear me, uh, you know, play to that. And then there are days where it's Buck and Kincaid. And, and, and you have to, we both had to learn to give up a little ground and to be willing to do that on certain days. And believe me, it was a learning process. And there was blood spilled <laughs> and, um, and feelings hurt. And, um, and things said over 17 years that you, you know, and, but the one thing that we grew to know is that success together, we were a very successful venture and we will end up, we will end up as the most successful partner venture ever in the history of this market. I mean, you mentioned Barnes, Leslie and Jimmy, we passed them a few years ago. Um, we, we are, we, we will be, when Mike and Mike end in November, we will, by next May, we will be the second longest running tandem sports show in the history of, the, of sports radio. And we will only be behind the 19, the almost 19 year run of Mike and Mike, uh, of uh, Mike and the Mad Dog in New York, which they just had a 30 for 34. And if we go two more years, we go two more Labor Days, we will have surpassed Mike and the Mad Dog in New York. And believe me, our thirty for thirty would be quite colorful. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's just great. I mean, I, I had um, I had Vicky Locke on this podcast a while back, sure. and um, you know, and we talked about this because you know I think Steve and Vicky did eighteen and a half years. That was their, yes, they did. That was their run. And one of the things she talked about is kind of what you're talking about. I I didn't know that story about how it almost didn't work, um, but she sort of said like there's something that's the thing you can't put your finger on. Like when you get people together and you settle out and there's almost like some magic, some secret sauce and it's almost the cosmos. Like you can work on things and get better. But like you said with Buck, there are things that are less, there's more similarities and differences when you thought it might not be, but clearly other than just working on it, there's some kind of magic, right. That's there, right. Like the, the, the planets aligned in such a way that you could get to nearly 4,000. Ep- I mean, that's just such an epic well, think- number. It's crazy. It's, it's, yeah, we'll hit 4,000, uh, we're scared. We'll hit 4,000 in early September and we will hit our 17th anniversary on Labor Day. I think both of those events are going to happen Labor Day week because Labor Day is our actual 17 year anniversary. And then I think later that week, I think the Friday before the Falcons opener might even be 4,000, depending on how it goes. Cause we only count the shows where yeah. we work together right. as being the actual episodes we work together. But it's a, um, it, there's something to it. I mean, it, it's the, the one thing is too, is that I always believe with Buck and I, 
And I give Buck 100% credit for this because it's something that has been very successful for our show is that we were the first show on the market and the only show on the market that ever talked college football 365 days a year to the level that we did where every hour there was some college football discussion. And I will tell you 100%. And when the, when the epilogue is, when the prologue is written or whatever it is for, uh, uh, Buck and Kincaid epilogue, ep- I can't epilogue. epilogue. That's terrible. Epilogue. Um, when it's written, Buck Baloo gets 100% credit for that. Not me because he saw that as a need and he saw that as a differentiator. And it was something that I thought, yeah, I, I believe it might be important, but every day of the year, we're going to talk college football, <laughs> March, April, May, June. So that was 100% Buck's contribution. And it ended up, I think it's one of the most valuable parts because now every show in the market has copied that. Uh, there was a, the radio station I worked at before, The Zone, that I worked at before 680, they barely talked college football ever, ever until we became the college football voice of the South. And then it was like, okay, well, we better be competing. And so that's something that really, you know, worked out there is that that, you know, working together where that was his idea. And that was something that he pushed for. And it was times where he had to push for it, where I was pushing against it. And that is, uh, that was the, that was something that Buck brought to the table that clearly has worked uh, clearly in our favor. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's funny with Buck. I mean, you guys were it, it's fun to listen to you guys together, honestly, um as just a, as me being a fan. Um right. But uh it, th- again, with just the 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 cultural thing. So, when my father died. Well, you know Bucks, right? I mean, you know Bucks and you know Kincaids. Yeah. And I think it's another absolutely. thing. You you know people in your friend group in people that you go out to drink beers with, people that you work with, people that you know, you know people like Buck and you know people like Kincaid. You know people that are transplants. You know people that are locals. You know people that are born and bred Southerners. You know people that are uh, more brazen Yankees down here. And I think that's part of it, too. And we used to play up the North-South thing really big. Um, And that sort of went away after like five or six years. We sort of faded that out. Uh, But it it was a big part of it. You were saying about your grandfather. Well, no, I was going to say, well, side note. Yeah, I think relatability is such a huge part of radio. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I think my wife, even though she was really not in radio, she was in radio for four and a half years um, before she, you know, went back to CNN. Um, Right. You know, she's just amazingly relatable and she's exactly like that on the air. And there are still people now, she's been off the air since 2008 or nine right. radio. And there are still right. people that walk up to her from those days that remember bits and, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because relatability is really important. That's actually something that I've really focused on. Not that I'm going to have, I've actually had better response to this than I thought. I've had a lot more people listen to these things that I, than I thought, but what, I'm not, I don't have the tactical skills or training, right, to do this. Holly helps me get better. She listens and gives me notes. But, um, you know, I just want to be relatable. Like, I want someone to listen and go, oh, yeah, like, I, I get that. Like, I felt that before, or I understand where he's coming from there. Um, but the, anyway, the thing I was going to say before about <laughs> when my dad died, um, and I did his, I gave his eulogy, and, um, just I was thinking about Buck and then sort of the cultural thing. And this might you may think this is creepy. I don't know. But 
obviously that was a sad time, but I wanted to talk about the memories and the things about my dad that really stuck in my mind. And at the end of my dad's um, eulogy, I played two audio clips um, that made me think of my dad. And the first one was the 92 NLCS. Sid, right. Sid Slid. So Skip, Sid Car- Slid, Sid, sure. Skip Carey's call um, for that because I was with my dad when that happened. We were both standing on the couch. Like it was, you know, because my dad was obviously a huge baseball fan because I was a baseball player. And um, and run Lindsay because that was the right. that was the thing and I, yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing why would you think that i thought that's creepy well because it's funny that's because a beautiful thing people that i know that are from like california and whatever like it because i actually got a, a video recording of the eulogy someone recorded it for us mm-hmm. and i put it on youtube um because there were people that couldn't come and whatever and i said you know right. this was dad's memorial service and they were just like you played sports clips when you yeah, were talking about beautiful. your dad i'm like yeah because that was told- our relationship there's a Catholic hymn called Fly. There's a hymn in the Catholic Church called um, On Eagle's Wings. There's a song on Eagle's Wings. And there was a priest in one of my parishes as a kid, well, as a young man, that every Sunday during Eagle season, the recessional hymn would be On Eagle's Wings because the Eagles would be playing that day. Oh, I and he you. would mention it right before. And when on, and there's this, and, and, and the, the chorus of the song is, and he will raise you up on eagles' wings. And every time eagles, everybody in the church yelled, Eagle! <laughs> That's awesome. And he loved it. And this priest became, it became a tradition that on Eagle Sundays, on Eagle's Wings, there was the recessional hymn. Oh, that's so, so I think that's the coolest thing in the world. I, 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 think, I think that's the coolest thing in the world. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And I'm sure you miss your dad. I'm sure you miss your dad every day. You know, oh my, my dad gosh. died when I was a very young man. So uh, I never got to have a beer with my dad. I know you got to have a beer with your dad. You got to, you got to play around a golf with your dad. You got to do, I never got to have that relationship with my dad. So I, I it's something that I, it, it is a loss. Cause I always say to my wife all the time, I said, I, I wish I had the day that I could just like, I wish I could take my dad. So many things that I get to do are so cool. And so many places I get to go are so cool. Um, the last couple of years, like, you know, all the Super Bowls I've been to, the last couple of years doing my uh, radio show at the Super Bowl in Vegas, uh, Super Bowl weekend in Vegas. Like, I've, like, there's so many things I wish that I could have shared, you know, been able to show him that he never got to do carrying a mailbag around and delivering newspapers, having a second job for 20 some years. Um, there's so many things that I never got to share with him. I'm sure that those memories are great. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and I realize how fortunate I am. I mean, and I, not only for the time I had with him, but just because of who he was. I mean, because I know a lot of people right. don't necessarily have that kind of dad. Sure. So, I mean, I'm, I'm right. hyper grateful. But another thing that it's funny. So, Holly, um, my wife's from Chicago, and she's a Northwestern grad. And she's pretty sports savvy um, for someone that's not into it like I am, I guess. Um <laughs> And it was funny, her, her got it moment, which is something I think you and certainly Buck could appreciate. So my wife somehow a while ago got roped into judging for like the Miss America stuff, like the, oh, the, really? the state-based okay. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she'll, right. she met some guys. And so like when they do Miss Georgia, Miss Tennessee, Miss Alabama, Miss Mississippi, whatever, like she'll, she'll go and do those state competitions. And then they roll up to Miss USA and Miss America, which are two separate things. But, um, she um this is hilarious so she goes to miss mississippi 
and the, it was at a casino in Mississippi somewhere, and I couldn't go for whatever reason. And I'm sitting at home, and she calls. And me. you missed a trip to a casino. I know that's the breaking news. That is, it is. So she calls me, and you know, there's all these judges, and normally they get paired off, like you get a judging partner for the weekend or whatever, okay. or whenever you're there. Right. And um, I was like, hey, she goes, hey, honey. <laughs> And uh, I was like, hey, and she goes, I just found out who my judging partner is. And I was like, oh, really, who is it? And she goes, Herschel Walker. Oh, my gosh. And I went, "Are what? Like, I, I contemplated getting in the car, like, right that second. Um, but the funny part is, is she'd heard us talk about Herschel Walker. And again, like, she was always thought the college thing was so weird. Like, it's like, God, people are so crazy about college. And she, so that, that was in the morning that night she calls me and she's like, I totally get it now. I was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, you know, Herschel Walker hadn't carried a football in the state of Georgia since, you know, 1982. And he's in Mississippi, which is still SEC country. She goes, we walk, it took us 45 minutes to walk 150 yards from the judge's room to where we get into the stage because he couldn't take three steps without somebody wanting to take a picture or talk talk about Billy Bates getting run over or, you know what I mean? Like all of those things. And she goes, I just never understand it, but I think I get it. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a crazy thing. But the coolest moment of the whole thing was I'm sitting here and it was on that Saturday night and I'm watching football. It was during football season. And uh, the phone rings and it's Holly, and she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm watching football. What do you think I'm doing? And uh, she goes, hang on one second. second." And then I hear Sean, and she just there put Herschel on the phone. And I'm just, and I normally, because, again, like, those sorts of things normally don't rattle me. <laughs> like, because I don't, generally fame to me is not a thing. Like, I don't, I don't like, like, I would right, never right. ask somebody for an sure. autograph or that kind of stuff just doesn't, I don't get it. Um, but I was just flummoxed. I didn't know, like, I just didn't know what to do. And he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, watching football. And he goes, what game? And I told him, he's like, what's the score? And then we ended up having, like, this 10-minute conversation about that football game and those two teams. And then he's like, all right, I got to go. We got to judge this thing. And, like, I still think that's maybe the greatest gift I've ever been given. It's like I got to have a 15-minute phone conversation with Herschel Walker. That is awesome. <laughs> about that's a good story. Too. Randomly about football. I get to have – I get to have tons of conversations with Buck, and, and at least a third of them I would gladly hand off to you <laughs> anytime you wish when he's ready to kill me or something. But this so. goes back to, like, again, to sort of the greatest job in the world because, you know, you do get to talk to lots of people. And that's, but again, like, that's why sure. I, the reason I'm doing this thing is sort of that very, like, you know, that, that we, idea we, of having conversations. We, we think of it this way think of a kid who just graduated college in the state of Georgia. That, that's, that's just graduated college that's entering the workforce. They were entering kindergarten when Buck and Kincaid started. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so, we have, so we have literally raised a generation of sports fans have at one point come across our show. Maybe they're a big fan. Maybe they were a fan for a short time or a window of opportunity. But whatever it was, it's still been a part of the fabric of the community for that long. A kid that was entering kindergarten when we started that had just started kindergarten is now a college graduate. And, and that's, that's, that's the crazy part of the 17 year thing. And, uh, it, it truly is a, it, it's a, it's amazing with that. And there's, and there's special moments. There's plenty of them. Are you guys going to do something wild for 4,000? 
Uh, I do not think anything wild will go for 4,000 because it's funny as is we've really, except for 10 years, we really haven't played it up that much. Buck's very private. And honestly, I'm always, I don't think I enjoy successes enough. Mm. It's something whereby I don't think I celebrate successes enough. I, I, I'm a real planner. I'm a person who plans for the future, like, crazy diligently and and i talk about my retirement and my my later years way too much i think i think that sometimes i, I say to myself I'm, I'm always planning something i'm the, I'm, I'm, the, I'm like the least impulsive person you ever met um everything tends to have a plan and so we don't tend to be we we haven't ever gotten too braggadocious about it now for our 10th year uh, Sonny Purdue gave us a, uh, uh, you know, an official, you know, proclamation from the state, uh, you know, and things like that. But I don't know. I think it's just, I think we'll let 4,000 be damn, we made 4,000. That's really exciting. And let's just, uh, let's just keep doing it. And because we got kids to feed and kids to educate. So yeah. <laughs> lots of them coming up. So, um, I want to talk a minute before we run out of time, um, mm-hmm. about, uh, podcasting in general and then also you know the thing with Shaq sure the Shaq cast um yes I guess first of all like how do you what what's your take on the medium like do you do you find it's just like it's similar to radio or like how how do do you enjoy it like more or less is it different I I enjoy I think I enjoy it so much because it's Shaquille O'Neal yeah Uh, I, I gotta be honest with you I mean if you think about it that and and it's funny is when you like you were introducing me earlier like and he's the host of the big podcast with Shaq. I would say like uh, I am the ultimate along for the ride guy <laughs> when it comes to that. Even though a lot of the show, Shaq literally tossed me the keys and the very talented Rob Jenner's. Oh, I love and, Jenner's. I was gonna say earlier, like I just give him. him a shout out. He is so talented. He's so brilliant. Yeah, great. He's so he's great. so brilliant. And I can tell you this is. In, in my years in radio, there would be like a Mount Rushmore of people that I trust their opinion and I go to it. I go to them for their opinion. And one of them is a guy, Mike Thompson, the guy who's pretty much started my career here in Atlanta. Um, another guy, Angelo Cataldi, who helped to launch my career in Philly, one of the most successful sports radio hosts in the country. And Rob Jenner's has found his way onto that wall because Jenner's is, Jenner's is great at just when I bounce stuff off him telling me, okay, just, just, just shut up and go to work. Like that's, you, I can't even believe you're having an issue with that or yeah, you got a real issue there. Uh, or let me, why aren't you trying this? He's brilliant. He's brilliant behind the scenes. He's brilliant at all the technical stuff. He's brilliant at personality, uh, at understanding personalities. And he does such amazing work with the Shaq cast. Shaq and I get to have all the fun and he's part of it all the time. But I can tell you that the brains of the operation, it ain't me. Uh, it, it's Jenner's. It's Jenner's. Yeah. He is, he is, he's truly a talented guy, and he works his ass off, and he is, he's so much fun to deal with. And between him and Shaq, I mean, I have a good time every week. It is, it is a great 90. We, you know, we, we tend to tape around 90 minutes for around an hour of content. And to deal with Shaquille O'Neal, you know, to get to do a podcast with one of the 10 most recognizable people in the world is just, it's one of the craziest things to me ever. 
that it ever even happened a blessing that happened like that because it's, it was out of nowhere and, and it continues to be, uh, it's really an exciting, interesting thing every week. Well, I remember just the last thing to, you know, to on, on Jenner's, I mean, I remember actually when he got here and he, and I was still around radio a lot more. And I think it was 99 X that he started with when he got to Atlanta. And I just remember thinking this guy's a star. Like, I don't, I mean, you know, he was hilarious. I ran into him a few times. I heard about how he worked. So anyway, that those guys normally don't get he's, a lot of pub, but he's a he's a he's brilliant. He, yeah, he's a he's star. brilliant. So he's brilliant. So anyhow, so so how did that how did that come about? How do you end up doing a podcast with Shaq? Uh, thankfully, Shaq was looking for partners to do a podcast with. He wanted to do a podcast. He thought uh, it would be a great venture for him, but he. Um, he reached out, and it ended up being that uh, Ernie Johnson Jr. and some other people had said he was finding nobody to work with that he wanted to work with because every single person wanted to do an NBA podcast with him, wanted to do a basketball podcast. And when I met with him, I in fact, I told Christina the night that I was going to meet with him that I didn't think uh, I would ever work with him. I said, Shaq's not going to want to work with me. And I said, but I'm sure as hell going to be able to tell my grandchildren that I had dinner with Shaq. <laughs> I said, so, uh, so I'm going. And within, within 20 minutes, 30 minutes together, Shaq said, well, I want to work with you. And it was like, we just hit it off. But the main thing was, I said, I got to tell you, I'm not really, I wouldn't really be the person you'd want to do an NBA podcast with. I said, I'd be better if you wanted to have just goof around, do some current events, do, do some sports, do some entertainment. And he said, that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah. And everybody wants me to do an NBA podcast. It's amazing to me that people would, you know, and this is not me trying to toot my own horn, but like with a guy like that, it's like, look at Shaq. I mean, you know, de- the detective stuff and the police work and mm-hmm. a PhD. Yes. And where he yes. came from and his life story. It's like there's so much in there do. and you want to lock him into basketball? Like that's the most short-sighted thing do. ever. I know. I listen to it. And it's he's, great. He's brilliant. He's smart. He's funny as hell. Yeah, very funny. Um, he is. And we get into vehement disagreements sometimes. We talk current events. We talk, we talk whatever it is. And he's so open. He's so much fun. And he's so giving of his stage. Because he, he, he doesn't need, he, he can even tell it on his own podcast, he doesn't need to dominate. He, there, there, he, he's just, he's a, he's a wonderful person. He is, he is truly, he's truly a, uh, a gift and he's funny as all get out. And I, I just love it. I love it. And I think the industry's good. The podcast uh, business is great. I have, it's a lot easier than radio. It's, it's a lot more free form. Yep. It's a lot less structured. And honestly, I'm somebody who's so rigid and so structured that the podcast thing is like planned to me and it, and it doesn't, I really do thrive with structure, with order, with, uh, everything. So getting to do something like that is totally out of my comfort zone and I love it. But again, it needs somebody strong in control to be really successful venture. It needs someone strong to be control. And a guy like Rob Jenner's is perfect for it because he knows um, cause, cause Jenner's has the ability to tell me, set me straight, set me off, check me or whatever you want to do anytime. So, uh, he's got that level of respect. So it helps a lot. Yeah. I asked, I asked Vicky about the same thing because, you know, she does some podcasting now with Steve and Tom sure. Sullivan. And, uh, 
you yeah. know, that was my question is, do you find yourself uh, creating constructs that don't have to exist because that's just all you know? You know, because it's, you know, it's not like, oh, gosh, I've got seven minutes for a break and then we got to do a stop set. And then I got two live reads I got to do because with podcasts, it's like, nah, just go. <laughs> Which one do? Yeah. And we just throw our live reads in and we just throw them in when we decide to change topics and, and throw them in like that. So those are great. Those are, it makes it really easy. It's an interesting industry and I think it's growing. And I really do believe radio is going to get to the point where there will be shows like Buck and Kincaid or, uh, Chuck and Chernoff or shows like that. And they'll be available every day, but they'll be produced every day and they'll be available to listen whenever you want. Uh, I, I, I think, I think radio is being consumed much differently. The amount of young people that are consuming it by apps that are consuming it, um, they're, 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 they aren't listening on a traditional radio in their car. Uh, I think the industry is drastically changing and those who don't change or don't adapt to change are going to go by the way of the dinosaur and they will fail. They will fail and they will be gone. Yeah, I had a so part of the genesis of this, and I don't know if you've if ever heard the story, but um, I went to a uh, I went to see Kevin Smith, you know, the director that did mm-hmm. like Clerks sure. and Dogma and all that. Stuff. Yes, are you um, kidding me? Love it. He did a one man show that I just went to see, and I thought it would just be him sort of telling funny stories, but it ended up being about sixty percent like motivational speech. And this is my takeaway, and this was actually the reason I've done this, and it's inspired me for other things in my life, but. You know, obviously to see him, there were a lot of, you know, people that wanted to be filmmakers, people that wanted to, you know, write scripts, people that wanted to do, you know, movies, TV, that sort of stuff. And he went on this big rant about, you know, uh, hey, if you feel the urge to create, you just need to go create. Right. Like if you just feel like that drive. Right. If you want to write. Right. If you want to make a movie, make a movie and shoot on your iPhone. It doesn't have to be Transformers, you know what I mean? Or Top Gun. Like you can shoot a movie. But the thing that was super interesting, and this is what I talked to Holly a lot about, and this is even starting to impact her industry, right? Even TV, which requires a lot more production stuff because of the video element. Um, But what he said was so, he goes, because here's the great thing. He thinks that podcasting is the medium of the future by a long shot. And here's why. He said, because in every industry in entertainment, whether it's making movies or being on the radio or being a musician or doing whatever, there's two things. First of all, there's a gatekeeper. So if you want to go and be on a TV show, there's someone that's got to cast you in it. There's someone on the outside that says, I'm going to decide whether or not you can even come inside and play. And then after that, there are people that are constantly evaluating you and judging you and deciding whether or not you can stay, right? Because it's like, if you don't do it, if you don't, whatever. And he goes, but podcasting, there's none of that. Right. Like and and if you're doing it purely because you want to create and you're not thinking about revenue or listeners or whatever, you can just do it. No one will ever tell you to leave. No one can tell you to stop. No one can tell you to do this a certain way because it's your thing. And as long as you're producing something that's quality um, for you, then the rest of it will just will come to be if it's good people will listen if it's not and it doesn't matter that you don't care about that it's okay but it's just wide open where like anyone can do it now i think there's certainly a differentiator when you have like a shack and a you and a rob jenner's naturally that's there's a lot of talent in that room right like more so than sure just me doing this but you know, I've learned enough now to where i feel like what i put out is it's technically pretty good i think the content's pretty good um, and it scratches an itch for me 
and that's really all that matters, you know. So and that's and and that's where you need to, and that's why you got to keep doing it. You do, you do it for your soul, you do it for creativity, and whether whatever reason you do it for, for for us, you know, and 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 for me, it's just I want to. I always tell my daughter too is prune the money tree. Yeah. And I try to tell her, you know, prove the money tree when, when, when you're in the, when you're in the media industry and you have somebody now you get to work with Shaq, uh, you know, it's called people are coming to you to like monetize that and things. Yes. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, fun out of it. And I've been offered to do my own podcast too on the same network. It said like, do you want to do your own podcast separate to Shaq just where you do something? I'm like, honestly, with the three other jobs, with three jobs, I don't know that I could do it justice. Right. So I don't want to do that. I said someday I may, but right now, you know, I want to, I, I wouldn't have the, I wouldn't be able to do it justice. And so you want to make sure whatever you do, as you say, as Kevin Smith says, quality, make it quality, make it something that you're benefiting from. And, uh, and, and something that someone that gives you joy, something that gives you joy, have a lot of fun with it. So you just mentioned your daughter again, this gets away from all the media and all that stuff, but you know, again, I sort of keep up with her life through social media because sure. we're connected. Um, but I mean, you can tell cause you, you loop her into things and she's obviously like stupid, oh, yeah. stupid talented, right? Like I've heard her sing and smart I've heard her kid. do, right? She's like, singer. She's um, very smart. Do you feel like, th- and I, this is the age old question, like how do you balance? And, and here's why I'm a person that I don't have no children, but I am like hypercritical of pe- of parents. Like I'm one of those jerks, right? That like, I don't have any okay. kids, but I'll sure. see people doing stuff and I'll just be like that. I would never do that. Um, but, and I guess because I see young people and you know, I have my own opinions about how people parent these days. You and Christina seem like you guys have done a phenomenal job, but how do you, how do you weigh, because you are in a job where, and I hate to use the word privilege because that almost has this crazy connotation now, but you obviously are in a situation because of all the work that you've done and how hard you've worked to where you can expose her to lots of things that lots of people can't get exposure to. You can give her opportunities. You fiscally can do a lot of other things. I mean, was there like a conscious way of going, of trying to keep her sort of leveled, you know what I mean? And know that like, Hey, dad's in a pretty good spot and everybody doesn't get to do this kind of stuff. Well, mom keeps her leveled. It's, it's mom, mom does that because honestly, I'm bad at that. Um, I'm, um, we, we have the different, we have different roles in the house. I mean, there's different roles, especially in parenting too, is that I'm the, I tend to be six flags. Dad tends to be, dad tends to be more fun and games. Um, I said, if, if she's talking about, you know, you're, you're raising her, her, her disciplining, you know, keeping her in line, probably 90% of that has fallen onto my wife, you know, as a parent. So it's different. There's a difference in that relationship, but I can tell you core values. Um, she knows all about it. I mean, like we, we've, um, you know, we, she doesn't, she doesn't get overindulged. Um, she's gotten exposed to a lot of things, but I always say to her, work hard, work hard because daddy didn't have these things growing up. Mommy didn't have necessarily these things growing up. So don't just expect that they're yours. And, and I always say, and, and something that sounds callous, I know Finn has gotten on me for this before, but I say, this is mommy and daddy's lifestyle, not yours. Mm. You don't get this. You have to earn your own. And she now says all the time, I'm going to have better. I love it. And I'm like, I love that answer. I love that answer. But, um, and, uh, but she does always ask specifically, 
can I go on vacation with you guys even after I'm grown up? I'm like, yes. Yeah, that, that falls into it fine. So you can, you can definitely come on vacation with us and everything like that. You want to come to the beach or whatever. But, uh, but no boyfriends. As long as no boyfriends are coming, that's fine. Then uh, there will be none of that coming on. But uh, so, I mean, yeah, we, you, you try to keep her granted. But she, the thing is, though, as, my, as I told my, mo- my mom, uh, a, few, uh, a year or so ago, we were at, we were at uh, Dave & Buster's having lunch. And my mom and my daughter were sitting there with me and we were playing games and everything. And then my daughter goes, I'm going to go freshen up. Mom, mom, do you want to come? And she goes, no, I'm all right. And I'm sitting there with my mom and she goes, I'm trying to figure something out. And I said, what mom? She said, how did you get her? And I got you. (laughs) And I said to her, congratulations, mom. You've just written the first, the first line of your eulogy. (laughs) <laughs> and she says, you're such a loving son. And I said, yeah, I mean, it's the way it is, is that she, um, sometimes you get really lucky because she's, she's, my child is nothing like me when I was growing up, oh, no, you know, yeah, nothing, totally, totally different, totally different situation. Very, very blessed. And, and she has a lot of dreams and a lot of ambitions and she's writing her own music now and, um, writing her own music. In fact, her uncle Shaq is going to get her into, get her into the studio to record it. When, when she puts together enough quality stuff that she can get into the studio. And, um, she just has a lot of dreams. She has a lot of dreams and a lot of ambitions. And I'm very proud of her. Uh, and, um, and she's so great in school, which is the big thing. Cause I know that I would have been a mess trying to do, I can't do Maris seventh. I couldn't do her Maris seventh grade math. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know how the the academics. Uh, I don't know how it would be done, but it's a different day and age. Well, that's um, yeah. I mean, that, it's a great school, and that's great because I think it's awesome to, especially with music. Like I came from that world. You know, that's kind of how I got started. Like right, and that's school. not my world, and, and that's not my world. But you just got to grind all. it out. I mean, that's sort of the yes. trick with song songwriting, and mu- you just gotta you just gotta put your head down and just yeah, just run. So I had and one. It's beautiful. It's creative. Yeah, I had yeah. one last little thing before we get out of here. I really, sure. you've been so generous with your time, and I, I appreciate it's a lot it so of fun. Much. A lot of fun. I've had a good time, Sean. Because see, this is like, like I sort of feel no, no kidding. Like you sort of feel like with Shaq. That's kind of how I feel. Like all these people that I really respect, and I've asked them to participate, and they've done it. I sort of feel the same way with Shaq. Like talking to you, I'm like, oh man, I've always wanted to just oh, have geez. a conversation with this guy, and I'm getting to do it. So, I, so thanks for thanks for being here. You're, that's not a problem. So a little bit of a little bit of rapid fire. These are just quick. I had a few things I okay. jotted down. I wanted to wanted to zip through. Uh, best manager, like favorite manager, coach, or team executive from the time you've been in Atlanta. Like person you just like the most or like to be around the most. Hmm. Wow. Uh, Dan Reeves, mainly because of the fact that I've gotten to know Dan as part of our show. But when Dan was coach of the Falcons, he was very tolerant of me, uh, though at times I'm sure he thought I was a jackass. Uh, but he was very tolerant of me, and I honestly think of Dan Reeves like family. I think of him like an like a adopted father figure. So Dan Reeves would be the winner there. But i got to tell you, there have been a few. There have been really great. Bob Hartley, mm-hmm. uh, who was the coach of the Atlanta Thrashers. Uh, I love Bob to this day. Love him. Um, and, uh, so th- that would be my answer for that one, man. Coach Reeves. I just have to, my side note for that oh, is I could just listen to him talk for hours and hours. And I don't mean, and I mean the content because I love football, but also just his voice. I just love his voice. Sure. 
He's southern and gravelly, baby. Yeah, Coach Reeves, man. He just reminds me of like every football coach I ever had. You know what I mean? Growing up <laughs> down here, like that's how he sounds. All right. Um, so same question, but with players. Like, do you have a player that you just really love to be around from any of the teams? There have um, there have been a few. Jay Feely uh, with the Falcons was one of them uh, that I would definitely uh, put that at. He was he was definitely one of those guys. Um, I, I, I purposely try to keep very distant mm-hmm. from athletes that I've covered um, that I've that I've got to be around. It's really weird is that I hope he has a lot of success because I've um, started to really have some interesting interactions and everything like that with Dansby Swanson. So I hope uh, for the next generation, he's there. I love interacting with Chipper Jones, especially because at one point Chipper will call me a moron or a jackass or something. So that's always fun too, because interactions with Chipper are natural and they're real. And if he's pissed about something or he doesn't agree with me on something, he'll very call me out on it. So I enjoy that too. What's kind of great about Chipper is that Chipper's Chipper. You know, like we talked about that, like he just, he is who he is. I actually was, when I was playing baseball at Mercer, Chipper was playing for the Macon Braves when the A-ball team was in Macon. And we hung out with those guys a fair amount. Um, and, like, same, like, you know, I've run into him a few times since, and it's like, same dude. <laughs> like, he's just, Chipper just is who he is, you know, which is. Yes, he is. Which is cool. Um, do you have a favorite Atlanta sports moment? I I would say my my favorite moment was NFC Championship game in Philadelphia mm. uh, back in 2005 January uh, because of the fact that it was Eagles Falcons and everything was on the line to go to the Super Bowl so that was for me that's my favorite moment. Uh, because I was there, the blizzard that weekend, and everything like that. But uh, I, I guess seeing the Falcons uh, win the seeing Falcons win the NFC Championship last year was pretty special. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. That's pretty special. Yeah, I think like it's Sid Slid. It's probably the thing for me, just because it's kind of that shared yeah. deal with my old man. Sure. And uh, that was pretty monumental at that point. I mean, just I mean, you guys was, didn't win a World Series till I moved here, so that was it. Yeah, ninety five. <laughs> yeah, that was also pretty pretty big. But just generally speaking, too, as a pitcher, as a guy that was a pitcher, I used to tell people during it like seeing Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz together for all those years. I kept telling people like, you better pay attention because you will never see this again. You'll never see it again. Like, no. This is milk and honey. So what about the worst worst moment? Was it last year? <laughs> Super Bowl? Michael Vick. Oh, absolutely. Michael Vick's fall. Michael Vick's fall will be the worst ever. Yeah. That'll be something that I'll never, I'll never forget. Yeah. His fall from grace. But to Mike's credit, his rebound has been incredible. And I'm proud of him. And um, he's a man that I can respect again. And, uh, and to me, that's the great part of that story is as ugly as it got, um, it's redeemed itself. And I'm real proud of them. What's your favorite time of year for what you do? Do you have a oh, section God. of the year that's the most it's, fun? It's coming up in like three weeks. I say it every week to my daughter and my wife. Oh, gosh. Like when I'm doing the national show, I say, are you kidding me? When I do the national show in football season, I don't even have to. I, it, it requires like an hour of show prep. It's just, it's, it flows. It's easy. It's fun. It's football. Um, it, so there's no question. It comes up right now. Like Labor Day weekend is like, is like Christmas in doing this job. Cause I know my job will be easy for four months. It will be simple <laughs> and it will be joyous. 
it's so much fun. It's so great. All right, last one. And this is the this yes. is the quintessential question that you're gonna have to answer for everyone. When you're in Philly, where do you get your cheesesteak? Which... Oh, well Pat's is always the first choice. So there's no questions guy. to ask. All right. Yes, because I am a because I'm an immigrant. <laughs> I'm a descendant of immigrants. And you see, if you are a descendant of Philadelphia immigrants, this is how you always know. If you're a descendant of Philadelphia immigrants, you only go to Pat's. All right. And because Gino stole from Pat's and bought the land across the street and created Gino's, but stole the cheesesteak sort of recipe and formula and created their own. But the Oliveira family that created the cheesesteak, that invented the cheesesteak, invented it at Pat's. And so if you're an immigrant's descendant, you only go to Pat's and you never walk in Gino's. You never even, I have never darkened the door of the place mm. ever in all my years. And uh, so, and believe me, I can't wait till October to go to an Eagles game and, and sit out and, and have a cheesesteak with my daughter and be back home. So it's always a lot of fun. I really like gyms. Like, um, I like gyms. Yeah, I like gyms. I just don't go to where gyms is. Well, the thing like, is, that's is, not the part of town where I go. The thing is, is I think back in the day, we actually played a show at the Electric Factory. Well, I bet you did. You're on South Street. Yeah. And it's fun. It's party. It's, it's a, it's, but, but that's not where I like tended to spend more of my time. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. The gyms is good stuff. But I'm probably just biased because like we played the show and we, after soundcheck, we had time and I'm like, we got to get a cheesesteak mm-hmm. and people are like, you know, gyms is right there. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Well, the place to go, the place you, the place you go though, here, here's the thing is that everybody always asks about cheesesteak, but just in closing here, if you're going to Philadelphia, you go to Ralph's Italian restaurant. Okay. Ralph's Italian restaurant in South Philadelphia is the oldest continuously owned family restaurant in America. It even has the historical marker right outside it. And Ralph's is where you go for authentic South Philly Italian food. And you go in there and it's awesome. And when you're going, you tweet at me before you go. And I tag Ralph's and I tell them you're coming and they will, they will, Make sure that you're well-fed and taken good care of. And I did it for Falcon fans last year. Uh, a bunch of Falcon fans before they went up for the <laughs> Eagles-Falcons game. Um, I think we had 17, wow. I think I was told, 17 or 18 tables of people from tables. the Atlanta area that came up that went to Ralph's. Holy cow. And uh, the only thing when they wore, if they wore Falcon gear into the place, I told them, I said, don't wear Falcon gear. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Come so on. there was one, one table did. And they may or not, may not have uh, been messed around with. I'm not <laughs> yeah, sure, but sure. even B Finn, B Finn took his lovely bride there too because they were up for the weekend, and um, they had a great time there. So it's always fun. So check out Ralph's if you're going, and tweet at me before you go, and then I'll tweet to them to tell them you're coming. Yeah. Well, th- again, you're the man. So you're at John Kincaid Sean. on Twitter. Is at that John correct? Kincaid. J O H N K. That is it. K I N K E A D E. No. No. No, K-I-N-C. Or, oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I can't even speak. Right. I was, was thinking about not putting the I in the end, which is what the mistake Yeah, don't I put imagine. the I in, whichever screws it, but K-I-N- there's only one I in Kincaid. Yeah, K-I-N-C-A-D-E, John Kincaid. Um, you know, again, the JK Show on CBS Sports Radio on Sundays, and that is, is it nine? That is six to nine. Oh, six to nine. Six to nine during football season, six to ten when it's not football season. So we have three more weeks, I believe, three more weeks of, six to 10 and then it goes six to nine just during the NFL season. 
and um, it goes to around 300 stations around the country, or you can find it on the CBS Sports app or on Apple Music. You can grab it that way if you just want to listen to your computer or through an app like the young kids do. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and then, Sean, this has been a pleasure, man. Yeah, and remember the big podcast with Shaq. That's on Podcast One. You guys can go and listen to all those old episodes. And then, of course, John's on Middays with the incomparable Buck Baloo. Uh, Buck and Kincaid he is on incomparable. 680 The Fan, uh, 93.7 on your and dial. Thank you guys all for sticking around. Um, as I always say, um, listen to someone other than yourself every once in a while. You might learn something. And uh, until next time, press on.